0: blackhead
3: to the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast, a southern storm a bold, liberating
2: rock, shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast on Pantheon Podcast, where you can go to find your most uh, preferred music podcast. It is also the home of the Metallica podcast. And we talk about that even though we are blues and Southern Rock. We got to give that a shout out. With me is Jason and uh what's going on, man.
3: Happy Black Friday.
2: Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I heard uh, I my wife would tell me like she saw like Black Friday it wasn't like too uh crazy. I don't know where she saw videos of something like nobody in the stores like <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah. I think it, I don't know what it is this year. It doesn't, doesn't, I maybe Thanksgiving is a week earlier than it normally is. And it's, you know, Mm -hmm. another week out from Christmas. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's insane. My wife and my daughter always go out every year early in the morning with friends just to go, just to be part of it. And they said there was not even that many good deals or anything out there. So, oh, I can totally believe that. Yeah. But, it is also record store day today, Brian. Is it At record store day? There you go. Like,
2: I I should know that, but I didn't.
3: Is it always the Friday uh, after Thanksgiving? It it is always the Friday after Thanksgiving. And two years ago, I got the the uh, Blackberry Smoke stoned record. Yeah. This too. year there was yeah, and this year there was a one record I was only really looking forward to, and I was able to get it. It's Rilo Kylie's Under the Black Light, their last album before they disbanded. Uh, sounds fantastic on vinyl.
2: What what else do you know? Like what else came out? The uh, there story. was a
3: a Faces live recording session album that came out. Uh, Eric Carr, Kiss, you know, mm-hmm. a record from him. Matt Cameron had a solo record. He remember okay. he drummed for Pearl yep. Jam and and uh, Candlebox. Good. And today, a Kicks album, the very first Kicks album reissue came out as well, Brian.
2: Oh, cool! That's awesome. That's totally isn't awesome. that kind of
3: coincidental. It is coincidental
2: because. Our guest is Brian Forsyth from Kicks, formerly of Kicks, now Rhino Bucket, uh, and uh, someone we wanted to get for a long time. And it would uh, just like other guests before him, Frank Cannon, you know, Damon Johnson, you know, going back to people that were my soundtracks, my earlier part of my life. Uh, Brian was great to talk to about his other projects that you will hear all about.
3: Yeah, and he's a Telecaster uh, extraordinaire player. Like he's he's a master of the Telecaster. And, you know, that's, that's, I love Telecasters.
2: Yeah, man, he rocks it big time.
3: So, so, where yeah. do, hey, where do you come in with kicks, Brian? I know this is like you said, the soundtrack. Of you think we talked to Jamie St. James of Black and Blue. I know you've always been a Kicks fan.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, Black and Blue, that was, uh, you know, I was 14, 15 when I started coming across them and listen to them kicks uh, about 88 89 around there and of course they're one of our bands that you know got unnecessarily grouped in with what gets called hair metal more on the rock and roll side of things you know they got the kind of angus young and keith richard drifts i always will blow my fuse and always think of that and cinderella gypsy road as these you know Quintessential, uh, what I call Keith or Angus riffs,
3: yeah, for sure. You know, and I was not initially into kicks, I know you liked them right away. My first foray into kicks was my freshman year of high school. My sister was a senior, she was dating a guy, I think, was a junior. Anyway, she took the three of us to a mall. He bought the C or cassette single. Remember the ca- ca- singles I yeah. used to call them
2: Yeah.
3: of um, don't close your eyes. Remember that was their big hit song mm-hmm. kicks. Yeah. And the mall was maybe 35 plus minutes away. And on the way home, he just played that song. <laughs> over whole and over. entire. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think I like kicks because I can't, all I hear is the song. But later on I did get in. I am like, blow my fuse. Like, uh, cold blood is such a good song like there's a great catalog and like you said brian incorporates some of those stonesian riffs into his telecaster playing
2: did, did he have like an auto reverse cassette player in his
3: <laughs> i think i don't remember if you could either flip it over and it played the same song or if there was a b-side or if he just kept just kept rewinding it and playing and my sister's uh, blue Chevrolet Chevette. Remember those things? Remember the Chevettes <laughs> the little hatchbacks?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's like uh, sometimes you, when you like forget about cars like that and it gets in your head somebody mentions it and then you'll see one. You'll
3: yeah. See a car like, yeah I was... like I
2: saw a Volkswagen Rabbit a while back. Oh my like,
3: God. Somebody actually took care of it. <laughs> was it convertible? No. No, it wasn't convertible. I remember the Volkswagen Rabbit convertibles were a little bit of a a thing for a lot of girls back in the late 80s early 90s
2: now we're an 80s uh automotive <laughs> popular automotive <laughs> podcast
3: that's right automotive. that's right it's it's nostalgia remotes, we're talking to brian Damage Forsyth from kick so it's a little nostalgic
2: yeah and uh you know we all know about kicks but he's going to talk about a whole lot of other stuff so you guys kick back and relax and listen to our conversation with brian forsyth We're at the guest statement of the podcast, and we got a guy that we've wanted to have on here for a long time, and Jason is going to introduce our guest that we've already told you about, but here's the introduction.
3: I always love that. We've already told you about, but here's the surprise guest. Um, <laughs> no, it's our pleasure to have on a guy that we've loved a lot of stuff that he's done. We're going to talk a, a lot about all the various things he's done, but you may know him from Kicks, but we've got Brian Damage Forsyth with us. How you doing, Brian?
2: Good. How's everything? And you're in you're Nashville, right? Yeah we, yeah. we we hear all about these, the funky rock and roll neighborhoods, like either people used to live right next to each other or or do now. We've had like Tony Higby and Damon Johnson and Tyler Bryant, Ace Vaughn Johnson. So Ace Vaughn Johnson. We yeah. he, we hear about
1: these neighborhoods like, yeah, that
2: guy's my neighbor. He lives down the street.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, Tony Higby. just, I, I watch his cats. Well, he used to watch his cats when he was out of town. He lived <laughs> I, in fact, I can ride my bike to his house.
3: <laughs> there's like Brian. There's this weird, not a weird. There's this network of support for animals because last year when we talked to Ace around Halloween, he was watching Tony's cats. I know Tony watches dogs. Brian, it sounds like everybody's in on the action pet sitting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I actually hire a professional. But <laughs>
3: <laughs> so you don't. So what you're saying is you don't trust Tony or Ace. Oh no. <laughs>
1: Well, no, actually, Tony, Tony did it for me one time when I was in the finish.
2: So how are you doing? You just, you recently, you had like a carbon monoxide kind of uh, scare, or do you, what yeah. happened
1: there? Oh, that was um, the end of last May. Uh, you know, and if you know anything about carbon monoxide, you, it's like odorless. I mean, I had no clue what was going on, and it had been going on for a while, Um. I had a new water heater put in, uh, one of those tankless water heaters, and it, apparently it had been leaking the whole time, <laughs> and oh. and the the stupid thing is I've ha- I have a um, carbon monoxide detector right by where it is. It's right it's inside my garage, and above the garage door, I have the detector. And soon after they installed that brand new heater the detector started going off and I thought it was the detector that was defective. So I took it down and stuck it in a drawer because it kept making noise. It kept going off. And um, that was about a year ago. It was doing its job. (laughs) Yeah. And I just thought something was wrong. I changed the battery and I, you know, I turned the, I have a ceiling fan in the garage and I turned that on and, (laughs) and I just got annoyed with the detector. So I took it down. So then a year later, you know, in fact my garage is also my workout area where every morning i'm working out and and i'm breathing heavy and stuff and and uh it's right there and on the other side of the door that goes into the house uh, it's my room where all my guitars are and that's where i'd go over this set list and stuff so i spend most of my time there and they when they what happened was uh well my girlfriend was out of town and uh I woke up one morning and it just felt like I couldn't I couldn't wake up I I couldn't shake that groggy feeling and and I was dizzy and and um but I was by myself so I just you know kind of dismissed it (laughs) and um went about my day and I was driving around and going to places picking up you know going to the post office and and uh, I had to meet the duck lady, the lady I get my duck eggs from. And I. And she was the first human contact I had that day. And I remember I couldn't talk. I, I was stumbling over my words. And uh, well, actually, no, I'm, uh, I'm getting my own story wrong. <laughs> I did a podcast <laughs> the night before that, Um. Well, she was actually, you know, that was the first person I was face to face with, but I did a podcast the night before and the guy that I did the podcast with, um, like I was having trouble putting sentences together. He called me the next morning and um, suggested that it might be something like carbon monoxide. And um, and that, that caused me to go down and, get that thing out of the the detector out of the drawer and put it back up and um it didn't go off at first but my girlfriend in the meantime came home well she 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 convinced me to go to a urgent care they thought i had vertigo it it was just like nobody knew what was going on (laughs) so uh when she came home and and saw me and she, I guess, I don't know if my mouth was drooping or not, but I couldn't play guitar. I was getting ready to go to Maryland to play a kick show. And and I picked up my guitar to go over the set and I couldn't, I I was just, I just felt like I'd forgotten how to play. And uh, she told me to go to the emergency room. So she took me there. It was a Friday and they, they took me in. And even at that point, I didn't know it was carbon monoxide. I just said, uh, you know, I was trying to figure it out in my brain. I had a tick bite <laughs> that, that I had gotten about a month prior. I thought, well, maybe it's a tick bite. And then, then I thought, well, maybe, you know, you know, I was thinking all these things and they took me back and they did an MRI and, and they discovered, you know, I had a stroke and, uh, the The fact that they they didn't deduce that it was uh carbon monoxide at first, so by the time they they did a carbon monoxide test on my blood, it was gone and and so theres it's kind of an you know they don't believe me or at least they, they i don't know this is just it's weird there's no conclusion, but uh. But there's no reason why this would have happened. I mean, I'm perfectly healthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, all well, the well,
3: symptoms sound just like that, man. Carbon monoxide exposure.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and another crazy thing is, uh, well, I guess I've been at the place. I, I was at the hospital over. Well, actually, I was there for a couple of days before I, I woke up one morning like, well, they wake me up. They w- would wake me up to give me all these med- like pills and stuff. But I checked my um, security camera in the garage, and I heard the alarm going off. And my girlfriend was here, and I called her because you know she's up here in the bedroom, and um, and I said, hey, or actually, I couldn't get a hold of her. It just rang and rang. Got, I, got to, I got her got her voicemail. And um I told her that from four o'clock on that alarm has been going off. So she she finally got my message and she called the fire department. And um they discovered that it was coming from the water heater. And and also the bedroom was a high concentration area. And um a c- couple weeks before my stroke, my cat was going through Caesar. She, ugh, <laughs> can't talk Uh, (laughs) seizures (laughs) Um, and that explained that explained that because we couldn't figure out why she was having seizures so it it was just crazy and in the uh, the plumbers came to look at the water heater and they um they fixed the the exhaust but that wasn't the problem because the thing went off again that night and it turned out that it, it had a internal defect is something about i don't know the heat exchange or something was leaking or is cracked or something so they they gave they put in a new one so now i don't have that problem
3: (laughs) yeah man you are lucky there's a lot of people who right who've actually died from carbon monoxide exposure like uh, Vida's the tennis great USC died years ago his parents house they like, had a they had a um space heater like it's it you know it's like you said it's tasteless odorless and it just overcomes you and you like kind of go to sleep and don't wake up
1: yeah you don't even smell exhaust or anything yeah
3: that's yeah. scary i just had a water heater put in a couple months ago a new one it's not tankless but like i do have a carbon monoxide down there, thankfully. (laughs) So kids, make sure you have a carbon monoxide detector.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah don't, take it, Put it don't on the <laughs>
3: take it off when it's beeping it means it's working
1: <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> hello pantheon podcast listeners christian
4: swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them now if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of raycons
2: Well, we're glad you're okay, man. I just wanted to ask you how you're yeah. doing, and everything yeah. seems back to normal.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I I spent a weekend in, in a rehab. You know, my my balance finally came back, and pretty much physically, I mean, I have a little bit of weakness here and there, but um, the only thing that didn't come back is my guitar playing. I mean, I most of it did, but but the little nuances are. I just can't pull off like I used to. So I'm still working on that.
2: Well, you get it back, man. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so Keep at what, it. Can you, is it kind of hard to put into words, you know, like with, with kicks is done as when we say bittersweet, or or how do you feel about it?
3: Um uh,
1: yeah, I remember when Steve he decided he didn't want to do it anymore and and, and um he set the date. Well, Jimmy set the date, and, and Steve went along with it. Because at first, Steve was going to continue on throughout the, the rest of the year, but uh, when I, when, in fir- when he first brought it up, we had a a band Zoom meeting, <laughs> and um, I was trying to talk him out of it. I didn't I didn't want it to end at least this year, and um, and then, you know we finally decided on a final show because we didn't have that when we decided it was just going to sort of, he wanted to just slowly fade away and walk away from it. He didn't want to make a big deal out of it. And um, we convinced him to at least let's do one last big show. And uh, I'm glad we did that because, you know, our fans deserved it. And, and you know, I've accepted, you know, I accepted it by the, by the time we got to that show that we weren't, you know, that it was ending, but these last few years, you know, with the pandemic and everything, it sort of conditioned me for long periods of not doing anything. And uh, so that's what this feels like now. Maybe it hasn't sunk in or something, but, you know, I just uh, I, a long time between gigs.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I got I got to see you guys twice, and I'm I feel really grateful for that. I mean, you guys are just a great, great, great rock and roll band that you know kind of at one point got thrown into the whole kind of you know L.A. kind of metal kind of thing. And you know, we when we when Patrick's been on from Junkyard, we talked to him about it too. And you know, we always talk when talking to Charlie, talking about Tesla and Cinderella and. know la guns and you know these bands that are more rock and roll bands that got thrown into that that you know whatever hair metal kind of thing so but but uh yeah when i watch you know just videos and stuff i'm like wow just so incredible so so i'm uh definitely definitely glad i got to see you guys so um we got I got to ask the first question we asked Charlie yesterday. I got to ask you too. I'm going to assume that you've, you've heard it, but have, have you heard, uh, do you have a re your little review of Hackney Diamonds and the Stones yet? Or have you heard it? Or,
3: uh, yeah,
1: yeah. I got, I bought, I actually bought the, the, um, the physical album, but I, uh, I downloaded the, uh, stream or the, the m P3s. Um, what i think of it um it's not bad for a new album <laughs> but you know it doesn't sound like the old stones but mm-hmm. my, my favorite era of stones is probably around between 69 and 73 yeah and four yeah that run from beggars
2: bank with to go head soup pretty much yeah yeah
3: <clears throat> That's probably my favorite run too, Brian. Like I yeah. I love the more bluesy Americana stuff for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought when, when uh, I remember growing up, I wasn't really a Stones fan. I, I listened to the Beatles. And, and I had an older brother that had a, all the Beatles records and he had a couple Stones records. And, and it was, it was like the ones with the Brian Jones. I don't know. They it just didn't, I didn't like it. <laughs> it didn't sound like mm-hmm. the Beatles. And then when they finally got to Beggar's Banquet, um, my brother brought that record home. And that was the first Stones record. It was like, wow, this is, I really like this. And I think that they finally found what, what where they were supposed to be when they got to that, that point. Very cool. Very
2: cool. So it was interesting to when I read about know your career and whatnot like one thing i found out that i hadn't known before is that you went down to alabama early on in in your career and and how did that come about or were were you like more in tune with southern rock at that point or what what how would it all go how did that work for you and how did everything go down there What, what what was the goal and what happened well
1: yeah well actually i'm 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 a big southern rock fan and that's mm-hmm. that's pretty much where i learned how to play guitar from mm-hmm. Dicky Betts and billy gibbons and i mean that's that was my those were my yeah. guitar heroes. and uh around 70 1975 it, um i dropped out of high school <laughs> like i was supposed to graduate in 75 and i just it was school was useless to me it was like by the time I got to my senior year, it was all makeup courses of every class that I'd failed. And there's a reason I failed. <laughs> so I, said, I just to go back. So my parents let me drop out. and They said, you can, you can, you know, you don't have to go back, but you have to get a full-time job. So I started working and I was working at this, it was at a big shopping center. Um, there was a pizza place. And I got a full time job making pizzas and a short order to cook and stuff like that, and and um, it was weird. Uh, they changed management,s and the whole the whole staff rebelled and they walked out on Friday night. And I'm the daytime guy, so I <laughs> so I get this phone call, this panic call from the new management. And uh and they called me in to, to try to fill in. And uh for the next two weeks, I had to train all the new people. So at the end of the two weeks, they informed me that they're gonna let they're they're letting me go because they want to start fresh. And I thought, oh man, <laughs> like what a bummer. But I you know, I've got this weird, I've got this weird um outlook on on the way things are I I figure you know there's a reason for this and I didn't get I didn't take it out on them I didn't I I mean I had visions of taking the trash out and just (laughs) 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 I I just I did my job I got my paycheck my final paycheck and I walked out and got in my I had a little Chevy love truck and I got in it turn the key and, and, the, and it goes it was dead oh no <laughs> i'm sitting there with a final check in my hand just got <laughs> fired my truck won't start and, um, and i'm sitting in the parking lot and the parking lot's a little bit of a downgrade so it, it I, it's a five speed so I, I i stick my foot out the door and i give it a little push <laughs> i i drift down and i pop the clutch and it doesn't start. It just sort of drifts and comes to a stop at the curb. And just then, this guy um that I knew, he, he was a he was about four years older than me. And he, he was a real really good bass player. Like he played in, in a few bands around the area that I knew. He came he came, was coming out of the shopping center and he saw me and he goes, You need you need some help. And I said, Yeah, I need a jump start. And it was I mean, it was just the right time, the right, you know, the timing was perfect. So we started talking and he was in between bands and I wasn't in a band at the time. And we got, and I ended up in a band with him and he ended up in my parents' basement at first. It was me and him and a drummer, just a three piece. We put a whole set list of songs together. And um, and he... He had gone to college um, down in Alabama. That's why we ended up going there. He was uh, um, his father was a veteran, so as long as he goes to college, he gets paid for it. And so we decided to take take our band down there, and we um, rented a band house in Florence, Alabama, which is right across the river from Muscle Shoals. So it's right down there in the mid 70s and right by Muscle Shoals. And there's like, I mean, it was similar to Nashville. Like everybody, everybody played guitar and everyone was a songwriter. And uh, so it was just a cool learning experience for me. Um, We got another guitar player and then we got a keyboard player and we're playing all around like Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia. And then uh, at one point we hooked up with this country singer guy who had, he, it was funny because he only had a single. He had 145, <laughs> but I guess he, and we did, we filled it in with cover songs or something. <laughs> but, well, we did a whole tour with him. So anyway, long story short, it was about eight months I spent down there, but playing like nonstop. And, and, um, and we played everything from, I mean, our set list, was uh everything from freddy, freddy fender to aerosmith and everything in between we did casey and the sunshine band we did the Eagles. i mean everything you can think of and, and a bunch of skinners of course but um yeah so by the time i came back from there i mean it, i i'd already been playing for a few years but that really taught me how to play and how to all the different styles and and um and it was just so cool to be down there, you know, near Muscle Shoals, and and there the, the whole the the whole time we're well, what most people talk about is um, you know the Stones did Sticky Fingers there, mm-hmm. and that wasn't too far after that. But while I was down there, uh, we tried out for uh, our band auditioned for um, Hank Williams Jr. He came to this club where, where we were playing, and because uh, he was looking for a backup band, and he wanted to get more into country rock at that time. But need, need, needless to
3: say, we didn't we didn't pass the audition. No, <laughs> that's really cool though. Like, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, especially as young guys, young man, have that guy come in there like a legend.
1: Yeah, and the night he was there, everyone knew he, he was coming there or something. All the Muscle Shoals musicians were there the studio guys i got to meet all those famous guys that, that played on all those those records so that was a that was a co- cool experience
3: what was the name of that band uh it was called trace you missed a perfect opportunity it should have been called jumpstart yeah it should have <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's kind of a cool name for a band too you know
1: yeah
2: <laughs> So we'll fast forward. And I know like, like after when kick split, the first time the grunge thing happens and you end up out in LA and, uh, it, at some point you hook up with Patrick and you start to rhythm Kings and that goes into catfish.
1: Well, it was right at the end of Hicks. It was after Hotwire. Um, it was, I guess the end of 92, I started taking trips out, out to LA, um, We'd have like a few days off here and there, and and I had all these freaking flyer miles from going to Japan twice, <laughs> so I, I'd use them to go to LA. And well, prior to that, I was starting to write some songs, and they weren't really kick songs, and so I was looking for somebody to write songs with. And I, in my, I reached out to um, my guitar tech. My ex guitar tech, who's on the road with Faster Pussycat, and uh, yeah, it's it's funny <laughs> you're wearing that because I I initially called to get a hold of Tammy, and it just so happened that that um, uh, what's his name Eric was in the Eric Stacy was in in the room with my my um, guitar tech and. And he ended up getting the phone and and talking to me and he convinced me to, to write some songs with him. So I never got to talk to Tammy about it, but uh, Eric ended up coming up to my house and we wrote a bunch of songs. And then that's when I, then I started going out to LA and we put this, we got together with Pat and uh, this other really good guitar player. um, This French guy named Francois. I don't even know what happened to him, but uh, um, yeah, so we, we put this thing together and we had a, the singer is, well, his real name's Adam White, but he went by rail. I don't know why. Well, he supposedly Axel had nicknamed him. So he, he called himself rail, but, uh, uh, we did a demo and, um, uh, four, four or five songs. And when I heard the, the end result, I said, "Oh wow, this is what I want to do because i i was starting to get disillusioned with kicks and um and you know the grunge thing was starting to come around and and i just felt like this ship was sinking and i i just i couldn't handle going back down the same way we came up (laughs) and um so so uh i came back to maryland and i told those guys that i was i was leaving and um and I remember it was in uh, March of '93 when I finally left. In the week I left, they released a Kicks Live album, and and that's my my guitar on the front of it. <laughs> but I've heard I've heard the you... The, the you know Rhythm
2: Kings Catfish stuff. It's it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's almost it's almost like Black like Shake Your Money era Black Crows. It's really yeah. good. It's really good. Actually, Actually, it's called the Rhythm Slaves.
1: Oh, the Rhythm Slaves.
2: I'm sorry. Yeah. The Rhythm (laughs) Rhythm Slaves and then Catfish. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. And and, we had Howard Teeman playing keyboards. So it was it was uh, he's really good at that honky tonk stuff.
3: Did you know Patrick ahead of time before you got in that band with him?
1: Um, Not really. No, I've seen uh, Junkyard play. In fact, uh, I saw them at Hammerjacks. Um at one point they were the headliner and Black Crows was opening for them. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, early on, right yeah. when the crows were getting started. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We talked to Patrick all about that that tour in Holocaust. He told That's
3: us course. some stories and some things they taught the crows a little bit about being on the road. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the fact that that show was the night after they were on David Letterman. And I remember um Chris Robinson was, was like, Oh, did you see us on there? And uh, like I told him, I watched it. And uh, I mean, they were, they weren't, they were just on the verge they they hadn't spoken yet.
3: Well, when a band like that comes out and starts to gain popularity, you know, you're talking about, you're going back to do some kind of more traditional rock with blues. Does that give you a little hope or a little inspiration at the same time? It's like, yeah, this is a good choice kind of for us to go this route.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just felt because that's more of my natural feel on guitar and stuff, and and that's what I'm good at. And in uh, you know, I, I saw that in the b- Black Crows. It's like they're just doing what they do, and they don't care what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. And because I remember, you know, back in the '80s, we we when we were touring. Our, our area representative for you know the label would come and he'd always have promo CDs. And I remember digging through this box of CDs and seeing the Black Rose CD. So I grabbed it. I grabbed that in a uh what was it? It was um uh, I remember I got the first rhino bucket record like that. Mm. And um and James Brown uh, that one he did, he came his comeback album, Living in the USA or something. I don't know, I forget. But anyway, uh, so I, I took those three CDs and I remember putting the Black Crows on it and just being blown away by it. And it was, it's just so inspirational to hear.
3: Yeah, it was a, a weird, like, so the time and music, what was going on, it was weird because you sort of so had the L.A. metal kind of pop scene going on. You had the emergence of Grunge and then you have this band that's a throwback. And of course, you know, those guys got out there and all of a sudden you had, you know, Brother Kane and Cry of Love and stuff kind of in that same vein, hit a kind of a couple year spot with some popularity in between the, you know, the metal and, and the uh, alternative or the grunge, grunge scene.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was refreshing.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you, and you're on guitar, too, because Brian always talks about kicks in a lot of these podcasts. Is We always dug the bands, even before we started doing this podcast, who had a more of a bluesy, had more of a southern rock element to them. Like, you guys, Junkyard, Cinderella, Great White. You know, that's kind of the things that we were certainly drawn to. And to hear you say, you know, hey, I went down in Alabama and I was playing these cover songs and doing this and learning those flicks and hearing what your music, you know, your riffs with kicks and stuff, even Rhino Bucket, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like you can tell that's your kind of your sweet spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I came along before all that wheelie deedly finger tap. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I like the bluesier stuff myself. Cause I can't do all the, all the crazy <laughs> stuff anyway. So I can, I could do a couple blues flicks. So I dig it too.
2: <laughs> yeah. So you've been in the music business when it was big, huge record companies and all that. And then, you know, the transition of streaming and all that, like, so with you know rhythm kings you know turns or rhythm slaves i'm sorry <laughs> is there like a rhythm yeah, king or like something? I gotta... like, there's
3: some, something that's a rhythm <laughs> king somewhere i know i know yeah the believe.
2: rhythm slaves turns into catfish and, and back then was it were bands dependent upon having to sell millions of copies to be able to continue to tour and record because now it's all about the playing live and the merch and all that so was there did that lead into why
1: you guys didn't keep doing the catfish thing or well we never even got got as far as a record deal really um and the reason we uh, the rhythm slaves turned into catfish it was basically the same band but uh um we got a new bass player we replaced Eric Stacy because uh yeah there's a little bit of drug problems there (laughs) but uh yeah we we just we recorded the first demo and then we went back as catfish and recorded a bunch more songs about five more songs which we were going to shop around and that's about the time kicks offered me you know they offered to pay me to come back and do the show business record so um which was it was funny because the I was paid as an outside musician and that was the, that was like, I got paid more than the guys in the band <laughs> for doing that. And oh. so I went back to record and while I was back, back in Maryland, um, my singer called me one day and told me he was leaving the band, the the catfish. Cause he thought for some reason, he thought for sure I was going to go back and record and go back to kicks so he just bailed on on the whole thing, and then that, that band fell apart. So, um,
2: so what it transpires at that point? You you how soon until you guys like got back to doing kicks full time, or as oh, much I as you
1: could? That didn't happen until the end of two thousand three. Okay. But I mean, in in between that, in between. Catfish and in the other thing, all kinds of stuff was going on. I mean, I I was playing in a blues band um called the Purple Gang. And uh that's where I met Reed from Rhino Bucket because he was the bass player for, for the um purple gang. And then from there uh him and I joined this other band with the singer this Bam, it was called Trouble Walking. It was like a Southern rock. And, and eventually we got back to that, but it was the same singer from uh, that, that eventually uh, was in the uh, Snake Handlers. But uh, this was getting close to the end of the 90s. I hooked up with, these are all bands that were happening at the same time. I hooked up with Joe Stay with a band called the Vagabonds. And we did it every Wednesday night at the teaser. Uh, And then George came into the picture um, and he, me and Reeve and George and another drummer got together and it wasn't Rhino Bucket yet. It was called Deep Six Holiday. So we, I got, I was with them, you know, doing shows with them and recording demos. I had all these things going on. I don't know how I, I juggled all that stuff because at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, I was, I was steadily going downhill, like with drugs and drinking, and and um by the end of the nineties, like ninety eight, it all, it all came to an end. I, I got arrested and I spent time in jail and I um had a moment of clarity. It was weird, you know, walking walk, I'd been I had gone through a strip search, like a bunch of guys came. We we got bussed up to this um the jail up uh I started out in LA County down in down in LA and they bust us up to uh this other jail out of town up near um magic mountain and we had to go through another strip search when we got off the bus and it was just this humiliating thing and i remember after they they throw your clothes back at you and tell you to get dressed and uh after you were down there spreading your butt cheeks and uh (laughs) So I, you know, I put my clothes back on, just feeling horrible. And I'm walking in, in this line, we're headed up towards the dorm. And it just, it, all of a sudden I get this moment and I go, you know, I, I pictured myself in, you know, on stage being this rock star. And I, I, and then here I am in, in jail. And I thought, how, how'd this happen? right. <laughs> <And, laughs> Yeah, it's crazy, and and uh, luckily I, I got hooked up with. Um, well, now it's it's now Music Cares. Um, back then it was called Musicians Assistance Program, and they they uh, my girlfriend um, got a hold of them, and they they sent uh, this lawyer to meet with me, and he arranged it so uh, if I re- agreed to go to rehab, they'd let me out of jail. So I did, and I went to rehab and spent uh, two months there and then 12 months in a recovery home and all this crazy stuff, but it, it worked. I mean, I got sober and I've been sober ever since, but then I come out of rehab. Um, in fact, I was maybe just my last month there, I get this phone call from George from Rhino Bucket in, uh, he got an offer from, from uh, Ricky Rackman. He was Ricky Rackman was trying to resurrect the, the cat house and he asked us to play. And George says, would you want, would you want to do the Rhino bucket gig? Cause, cause the original guy, Greg didn't want to do it. So I, I said, yeah, I so I learned a bunch all the songs and did the gig with them. And, and, um. Then we started working on new songs. And it was like, before I knew it, I was in Rhino Bucket. (laughs) It was was weird getting into a relationship where where you're just sort of dating, but then all of a sudden, you know.
3: (laughs) She's living at your house. Yeah.
2: (laughs) How was that for you, you know, coming out of rehab and all that? And then were you ever concerned stepping back into the whole rock and roll spectrum? Or did you know you were were good to go with being sober and nothing was going to?
1: Yeah, I I felt all right about that. I I the only hesitation I had was um with Rhino Bucket, I didn't know if I wanted to do the hard rock thing again. But once I got there, you know, once I learned the songs and stuff, I realized it's it's different than kicks. It's more straightforward and there there's just something mm-hmm. it it fits me better than kicks. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it's so it's so good, you know. Influence, you know, seemingly like, you know, Bond Scott era ACDC that kind of so- sound. So, so it's it's just like totally cool. Um, are you it, since then? Have are you still in Rhino Bucket? Whenever they go a yeah. gigs and yeah, okay, cool.
1: Yeah, I've been <clears throat> talking back and forth with George. We're uh, we're planning on doing another record at some point. Okay. But, yeah. So that's still going it, it was funny because like um in the early 2000s when that happened uh up until kicks got back together that um we had a lot more gigs going on and and um and i could put a lot more time into it and then once kicks started up i sort of had to put that on the back burner and kicks was the priority cuz mm-hmm. you know kicks makes more money <laughs> right <Yeah.
2: laughs> You gotta do what you gotta
1: do as a musician, but yeah, that's that's a good choice. Um so, yeah, so they're they are they are still yeah. hanging around waiting for me. But now now that uh I don't have kicks anymore, you know, we, we can make some plans.
2: <laughs> no, I'm just, I must be really good for you to you know that, that you've got that. You got some you know, something else that you're gonna be playing all the time and there for you, you know, after you know after the retirement of kicks. Yeah, it's cool. Um yeah. So at what point did you, you, moved from Los Angeles to Nashville? What, what brought that about?
1: Um, while I was in LA for 26 years, um, in, in right out of rehab, I had to get a job. I was working at a pet clinic <laughs> and, uh, I, well, going back to, um, like the rhythm saves and catfish days, um, it was so funny because Pat knew this girl that ended up being my girlfriend for 25 years. <laughs> uh, this girl Janice Garza, she used to write for Rip magazine. He had her come to one of our rehearsals and and to write a bio on the band. And she interviewed each one of us. And I ended up dating her and then moving in with her. And and then 25 years later, she kicked me out. <laughs> and, <laughs> I had to find my own. That's plate. longer
3: than most marriages, man.
1: Yeah, I know, I know. But uh, we're still friends, though. Um, yeah, so that that happened there, and she she's the one that put me through the you know got me into the rehab and all that. Um, so uh, I worked at that pet pet clinic for twelve years in, until until I couldn't. Because it, it was just in and out of town so much that, uh, and and some of it was Rhino Bucket. Because we do, we were doing um, once a year. We, we were going to Europe for anywhere from four to to eight weeks during January and February. And I that one the one time we went, it was it was eight weeks. So I had to take that time off work. And while we we're over there, we got booked at Sweden Rock which which is in June. So as, as soon as I go back to work, I had to ask for June off cuz cuz we couldn't just go over for one gig. We had to do all these gigs around it. And I remember they were they're really nice about. It. They tried to work it out and and they I just cuz I I, was, I took a leave of absence and I just had no more time vacation time or sick time or anything. And and they, they said, uh, the only way they could do it is if, uh, you know, if I, I resigned. (laughs) So, um, they sort of kept me on for, I don't know. I I stayed for about a year. I I was like a, a relief person. Like they call me when somebody else was sick or, or on vacation. Um, but, um, I don't know where I was going with that (laughs) moving to Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you know, kicks was full time after that. And, and at the end of the 25 year relationship, we, we, it was kind of mutual. Um, It just, you know, we were just sort of there together. And, um, and she, she said, you know, she, she just decided uh, she didn't want to do it anymore. and, And I had to leave. And um I remember looking around for for a place to live and rent was more than a than a mortgage out there. And um so I didn't want to do that. And in fact, I, I realized I thought I was helping her with a mortgage for this nice house. And basically I was paying rent all that time. And so I had nothing to show for it at the end of of that time. Um and I didn't want to get. I didn't want to keep continuing paying rent somewhere else. I, I so I wanted to buy a house, my own house. And there was it. Just everything was so expensive out there. Mm-hmm. The you know the only thing I could afford was something I didn't want. Mm-hmm. This, I remember seeing this little shack in an alley. It wasn't even on the street. It didn't have a yard, and it was. Crooked, it was stuck with <laughs> bars on the windows, and they wanted but at that time they wanted three hundred thousand for that and it was basically it looked like a garage that someone converted into a house and and I found the for the exact same price here in Nashville I got a three bedroom house you know with a two-car garage and half an acre of, of land for that for the same thing I could have gotten that little shack for so when i decided to come here three well it's either here or back to maryland and 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 i thought about it i mean kix was in maryland but nothing else was and and i, I don't know I, I just saw this as i mean, musically it was really happening and uh i had I knew a lot of people that had moved here and they were telling me how great it was and how cheap it was. <laughs> and so I just did it. I I just came out here at the beginning of January um not, uh 2019. I spent a week and I kind of looked ahead of time online to what it was available. And and I came here, I had a list of places to to check out. And I just drove around for a week and looked at different areas and um, hooked up with a realtor and by the end of, of, of that week, I decided on a, I found the house and I, I I mean it all happened so quick. I just jumped into it and, and, and got it and um, yeah, so then I moved I moved here in March of 19, 2019.
3: Just in time for the pandemic
1: yeah <laughs> you no know, yeah i just got comfortable i was just like exploring going out finding the cool little spots to to watch a band yeah and then everything shuts down <laughs> <laughs> but, but it gave me t- it gave me a chance to enjoy my house uh you know and hang out with my cat and yeah
3: <laughs> break in your home you know make it what you wanted to be
1: yeah
2: well, when we had Damon Johnson on the first time, he, he just said he goes Nashville has everything you need, like as a musician, you know, it's just yeah. got everything you need.
1: Yeah, you know? it's it's not just country; it's everything. And you know, studios and rehearsals. I mean, it, it's you got hot. an
3: airport that goes everywhere. You got highways that like, get to land, and like you're in a good spot. Yeah, yeah,
1: and it's not too cold in the winter, and it's right. Uh, it's hot in the summer, but. I can take it.
3: <laughs> Although a couple of years ago, I was in Nashville. I think it was either March or April. Um, and it was like 70 degrees during the day. And that night, a snowstorm came in and snowed like a couple inches and completely shut everything down like the next day. I was like, what the hell is this?
1: <laughs> yeah, there, w- there was one big s- storm I remember. In fact, my driveway is, is kind of comes downhill around back. And that's where my garage is. And for a week, I couldn't get my car up the driveway. I was stuck in. I was stuck here.
3: <laughs> I was very disappointed by that. But all my other trips to Nashville have been very nice,
1: though. <laughs> yeah.
2: It, it did, just always kind of sounds like there's always like a jam session going on somewhere, if, if you want, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I discovered this little place called Dee's Um Country Cocktail Lounge, and it's it's in Madison, which is ten minutes from here, and it's on a little side street, and it's got a gravel parking lot, and you go in there, and it's just a you know stage in the corner, about this high off the floor, and a pool table and a jukebox and and a couple tables, and and there's always a great band playing, and and it's just, uh, and all the like when you go see a band, there's always a tip jar up in, in front of the stage. I mean, that's how they get paid. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to go every Tuesday night before the pandemic and um, watch the Kenny Vaughn trio. Kenny Vaughn's, um he plays with Marty Stewart, but he had this oh. trio, this three-piece trio and they used to play there every Tuesday night for free. Um, you know, and they go on early eight o'clock because like most of the time, um, Kenny, and he would have a gig afterwards. So he'd pack up and just <laughs> run out the door. <laughs> but that, that, I found that. And then now there's this, um, there's this place, this new place called the Eastside Bowl. That's yeah, out two- yeah. from here.
3: Been and there. They,
1: oh, yeah. They got a big room in the back, but my favorite place is the little lounge. So,
3: yeah, I, I, I ran into, so we were there for, there's a national, like, rock pod rock and pod and it was in the spring this past year i went there and we had there was like an event like um a uh, rare hair was going on that night in the big room
0: yeah, that's you know he's yeah.
3: on johnson leilani kilgore all these people that brian and i know from the podcast so we're going to see them play and then i come out and like oddly freed was one of my guitar favorite guitar players of all time is just there in that little lounge playing with nick Gorvik and some uh some yeah. random drummer i was like oh my god like one of my guitar heroes is like five feet from me and I'm just standing here in like this little, (laughs) you know, just a little lounge, like, you know, off the bowling alley.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I know. That's, that's the cool thing. Like, like, in in fact, when I, when I first went to D's, um, I I met oddly there, him and and, um, Robert, the bass player, the um, Robert Kearns. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys were there. Um, Who else? There was a... There were several people, but uh, it was so cool. This little tiny bar and, and all these guys were there. And and um, I mean, it's like that. You, you go to different places. And like one time I was at the airport and my girlfriend's, and, and this is during the pandemic. So people had masks on and she goes, that guy over there looks like Billy Gibbons. Cause he had this beard sticking out of this mask. <laughs> and, I go, and I look, and I go, that is Billy Gibbons, and he's just standing there with a cup of coffee and his, with his some girl. But uh, yeah, you just go to clubs down like everywhere, you just see celebrities. And oh, in another place, uh, this barbecue place not far from here, we were there just one one afternoon, in, in the back room of this barbecue place, and there's these guys at the next table and obviously they're, they're like musicians or something or studio guy, they're talking shop about studio gear or something. And then all of a sudden um, this guy as this guy and his wife walk in and then I see him from behind and I go, that looks like, um, um, what's his name? Ah, no, don't, my mind's gonna go blank. Um, yeah James Burton I say that's that looks like James Burton and he turns around sure enough and he says that he's like right at the next table I mean it's just crazy
3: (laughs) it is do you have a good recommendation like if like Brian and I are coming from out of town like a place to go to really see musicians play not that you know touristy crap
1: yeah well um well, there's a bunch of places I see where where people play that I haven't gone to yet, so I can't remember the names. <laughs> <laughs> but but people will post like like this guy um Guthr- 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 Guthrie Guthrie Trap. Mm-hmm. He's a like a he plays a couple of different styles, but he's a country guy. And um, I first discovered him. I went to this Billy Gibbons tribute at the opry and he came out on stage with billy and and played and i, I was blown away but he's always posting like there's this, these um these different club blues clubs or country clubs and, and they're not those ones down there in the trendy area yeah and i've gone to um i did go to one club down there um on in printer's alley one night and saw Derek St Holmes band play mm-hmm. nice, and that was cool,
3: right on you
1: know so recently i
2: when you know I was sending Jason stuff that you've done played on, and we saw the Saturday night special cover uh with John Karabi, and was that like one of those pandemic jams? yeah, and it's, <laughs> like how does that work? I mean, like are you hearing everybody when you're playing that or are you does that get mixed later on? And obviously, the video gets edited. You know, yeah. You just, What's that like? How's that work? I always wondered about that.
1: Well, usually, oh, how does it work? <laughs> um, they'll send me the the basic tracks, like the drummer and you know whoever the bass player and stuff. They'll they'll put down some tracks first and then send them, and uh, and I just I just do a track. I just play along with it on a separate track and, and uh, somebody, then they mix it at the end. But I did, I did that song. And, and one song that didn't never made it to anything was uh, um, what was it? It was a Johnny winter song. Oh, I was so cool too. And, and John Karabi was supposed to finish it, do put his vocals on it. And he never did. <laughs> so that Karabi,
3: what are you doing, man? Release it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, it was just so cool cool to see that that you know like when i've seen you in kicks you know i always got the sense that like you were majorly influenced by keith richards and then i see you playing saturday night special it's like you know that's totally makes sense now you talk about your original love for southern rock so it's just how much more of a diverse player you are you're already great but to see that too is awesome
1: yeah 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 it was, well when i was first starting out and learning and uh, I hadn't really gotten into Keith Richards. I mean, I like the Stones. Uh, you know, I'd listened to them, but my my the, my real love was was the Southern rock bands like the Allman Brothers and Leonard Skinner.
3: Right, perfect for our podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I, I when I messaged Charlie on his Instagram yesterday afternoon, I had said that. There was a there's like a, there was a picture of you like at their merch after a gig or something, I think, at a Blackberry Smoke gig. Oh, yeah. That's right. I've seen you there. So, yeah, those guys are great, as you know.
1: Yeah, there was a uh, I think it was 2017. A friend of mine, this guy named Charlie Overby, was um he's like a singer songwriter guy. And he got me to to. Do a bunch of well. I think there were we, we, how many? Did we do about five shows, a, a West Coast tour with Blackberry Smoke. Oh, okay. And got to open for them. Oh, cool! Right on. It was cool. Wow. I, got, I got to play the Fillmore and in, in San Francisco. Right on. Yeah. What was the name of that band? That was Charlie Ovi and the Broken Arrows. He's still playing. He's, still, I think he's just he's working okay. on a new record right now. Okay, I have cool. to check
3: them out, man. I know, yeah. I know. Charlie's got a love for the the '80s and '70s hard rock stuff for sure.
1: Yeah, and and somehow I don't know how how we got on that tour, but uh, well, I guess Charlie Overby knew Charlie um, from Blackberry Smoke, and then uh, Charlie Overby also um, he's the guy that owns uh, the the um what's black hawk is it black hawk god i'm having trouble with names today um that the hat he makes hats okay oh yeah
3: Um, he's done is uh, it bone hawk or black something like that right something hawk yeah yeah lone hawk (laughs) i don't think so that's my girlfriend. Um, good I'm Good. I'm glad for the assist. Yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> but uh,
1: oh, lone, it's lone hawk,
3: lone yeah. hawk. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the feather and stuff, and and Charlie, um, Charlie Star has a couple of his hats as well. Very
3: cool. Brian, I think we follow them on Instagram on on the page Do we? on our Instagram page. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Well, Jason's guitar. The look sometime.
2: <laughs> Jason's a guitar player. I'm assuming there's you can want to do some guitar talk here with Brian. Uh I'd Amps. love to, Brian. A rig,
3: you, uh, rig uh,
1: discussion chat. That's yeah. an end That's in the subject. <laughs>
3: it, it is, but so I'll, I'll start out pretty easy. Like do you get have you gotten any gear recently? Guitar amp, pedals, anything that you're like super super, you know, over right now like you love.
1: Um Well, I I got a couple of guitars recently. Well, in the last year, um, I got a, because I play a 71 Telecaster. I I found another one and it's weird. I found it on reverb and and just bought it off of reverb and it turned out to be a beautiful guitar. It's another 71 and it's kind of like what I wanted my other one to be. So it's a, it's a nice version of, of my, my, the one I play. And then I got a, I went to a place called rumble seat music. Mm-hmm. Cause a friend of mine used to work there. Um, and he hooked me up with a 66 tally. And, in I I've got, it's like, I've got the blonde one or no, they're, they're, they're cream colored. And then this one's blonde. So it's a little bit wider, but it's a it, it's a, a, a rosewood fretboard and said that's my only rosewood
3: telly. Instead of map so you're normally a maple guy on the tellies.
1: Yeah. And then um I also while I was there, they just happened to have this um it's a 72, it's a um Black Beauty, but it's a 72 re- reissue of a uh, 54. So it's yeah. I think that's what it was, <laughs> but it's got the the soap bar, black soap bar, and then the Alnico pickup in the front. And it's, uh, it's mint condition.
3: Wow. So one, why do you choose the 71 model Telecaster? Cause it sounds like now you have two of them.
1: Well, I, had, I bought the first one way back in like 1980 or something from a friend and he, I only paid like two seventy five for it, so that's why I ended up with that one. And and I, I for years I just sort of clanked or plunked around on it at home, but I never used it live until I went to California um, with the Rhythm Slaves. But I bought that that second one just because it, it caught my eye, and and the guy the guy advertised it as being. What do you say? Super lightweight or something. And I, and the price was right. Yeah. Cause there's, it was, you know, they're still affordable. Like when in the sixties, I mean, even a 68 is, is like twice as much or sometimes more than that.
3: So you got that from a private seller versus like one of the stores that were just showing, selling stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you, why do you choose maple next versus Rosewood?
1: i don't know there's something about it i mean on strats i i, I use rosewood but uh a telly i don't know i, I like the it's way brighter
3: they, like you get a lot more bright you know brightness to it
1: you think though i don't know i i can't tell because it seems like that that 66 i bought with rosewood it's the the most telly like the brightest telly that i have
3: really <laughs> yeah is it the pickup difference or something you think in that like are those are those the original pickups in that 68
1: or the 66
3: oh sorry the 66 sorry yes
1: yeah in fact uh that's the only problem with that guitar yeah yeah there, it's really microphonic too so i i don't know I, if i was going to play it live i'd have to do something <laughs>
3: <laughs> just 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 picks up too much stuff with it
1: yeah it's got all i mean it's really i mean it's it's you know it, on one hand there's a, all these cool harmonics that come with with it being har- um
3: uh whatever <laughs> i can't sounds I like it sounds like super like it's super hot or something it just picks up everything it no it's not
1: hot it, it's um yeah it's it's almost like it it's well, it, it's a feedback. It's, it's not a, it's just a, um, like a microphone feedback. Well, that's, I guess that's why they call it microphonic, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just a, you know, it just makes no sense. It's not like a controlled feedback.
3: Yeah. What's uh what's one piece of gear that you want to have that you haven't gotten yet?
1: Oh, Good question. I
3: will tell you this, money's no object. What, what would you get?
1: Well, I'd get a a mid mid 50s twin. And um they made a twin that was uh, a low wattage in the mid 50s and then then uh around 58 they they went to a higher wattage. And a friend of mine had one and uh had had a twin and a telly and that it was a magic combination. But I've so I know, you're
3: going all in on fender fender guitar fender amp
1: yeah but but I'm you know I don't I I've got things besides fenders that sound great but my my first amp that I started out with the one that, that I took to Alabama and everything else um it's a 66 basement head and that it was some it was it never no other bassman that I ever played sounded like this and I still have it and I played it on all the Rhino Bucket records that I've played on except for the last one that I fa- finally found an amp that beat it <laughs> and it was a 78 Marshall JMP 50 watt but uh nice. I, I always fall in love with different amps and, and last time we went Rhino Bucket went to Europe um we decided to scale down we didn't feel like carrying around marshals because we have to <laughs> we have to carry them and right. so we decided to go with with combo amps and i i used to the guy the the um agency that that we do it over there they, it's all inclusive they they provide the back line the van and all that stuff and he has had has a list of um amps that he has in his garage and one of them i picked uh, an ac 30 this time a box, yeah, and yeah, because I I never played through one like that. Mm-hmm. But some of my like Kenny Vaughn plays through a box, a, well, a little a littler. But um, Kid Ramos, who is another one, another guy, I love, I love the way he plays. He he uses a box. So anyway, I tried the box on this tour, and it was killers. And I liked it so much. When I got back home, I bought two. I got I two foxes. So I got two of those 2AC30s sitting downstairs.
3: Is that is that going to be your go-to for recording or playing out or just just for fun?
1: I don't know. I I've, I've got I've got a choice now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Have you tried like I know Fender is now doing like the combo or the emulator um sorry, solid state version of like those Twins and stuff too and they're supposed to sound almost exactly like the original like tube amps
1: really mm-hmm. i don't know I, I i have played through solid state amps before that i that i got a good sound out of like i had an old pv um studio 50 which was uh solid state it, in fact it was steve's old harp amp that steve used to use he'd put it behind the curtain live and, and use a bullet mic through that amp so I took, when I we broke up the first time, I
3: took it. Have you tried out, so I know Fender's now put out one of these, but they're basically any kind of um, amplifier sounds and stuff you want them. I know Helix is very popular too with a lot of people. Have you tried any of those units?
1: Um, the ones that... Uh, the, the, like They've got they, like
3: every single amp available to you the, and every single mod- Modeling
1: amp. Oh, yeah, it's not
3: even a modeling amp. It's oh, even it? just it's just a control box. Like Helix, now Fender has one. Uh, Chris, tap from the cold stairs, was just posted that he's now like a believer in this Fender thing because it has every sound you could possibly imagine on it.
1: No, I, I, I've tried a few things here and there, like along the way to record. Yeah. and And there's something, even though it sounds like something, I mean, you're hearing the sound, but there's something missing. And uh, maybe it's psychological and it, it just.
3: Well, it doesn't feed like you don't get the feel quite like you would from a tube amp, right? A solid state or anything else. Electronics not really going to give you that same, I guess, connection to the amp that a tube amp does.
1: Yeah. When it's, when the sound's generated g- digitally or, or however yeah. they do it. Yeah. There's something like the soul is missing and 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 the inspiration is missing for me.
3: Yeah, I know, like, Tracy Guns, Brian, um, mm. Brian Jones, not Brian Forsyth, <laughs> too many Bryans. Um, he's a big Helix guy, I think, and then he was messing around with the Fender, and then Tap said the Fender thing's pretty good. I've never really messed around with those, but, you know, if you're torn a lot and lugging gear or whatever you have to do, if you have all those sounds in one place, and, like, you can run it through direct or do something, and then throw your, like, it just seems like, I mean, shit, that's probably, it'll save your back, I guess, yeah. but...
1: A lot of people have suggested that to me, but I don't know. I'm I'm old school. You're a purist.
3: You're a purist. There's nothing wrong with being a purist. Yeah. All right. You got to choose one amp and one guitar to play a show. That's all all you get, an amp and a guitar. What do you choose and what's your combo?
1: Well, it depends on the show.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, run us through. Let's say say you're doing a Rhino Bucket gig. What are you choosing? Uh, uh,
1: 50 watt, 78 JMP through a Marshall 412 with uh vintage 30s in it. And nice. my telecaster.
3: And your telecaster. Okay.
1: All right. And like you one, it sounds like you're
3: ready for this question.
1: And one cord. No, that's because
3: yeah, you do. You gotta have a cord. You gotta have a cord too. Um all right, you're doing a kick skip gig. What are you gonna choose?
1: The same thing, except okay. except the wireless unit in between.
3: Okay, but no really no matter what you're going to play, like you've got a standard guitar, standard amp amp rig you're going with.
1: For rock. Well, and then again, Rhino Bucket, I used to have Vox in Europe, but uh I don't know. Um, you know, I have different setups like when I was playing in a blues well, the blues band that I played yeah. with, um, I used the basement and a just a 112 cabinet. And I and then uh I had a I have a Fender reverb unit that I hook up to it, and then uh, it's probably that's probably the same setup I had in the Snake Handlers, that country band.
3: Yeah, I mean, so that would that would definitely play blues or country rock for sure. That's a good setup. Yeah, why did you never really go towards like the humbuckers or maybe the Les Pauls and really do the the Fenders, the Strats, and the Tellys and kind of the single coils?
1: Um, I started out with a Les Paul, but, um, my first Les Paul, well, no, my first guitar, real guitar was a melody maker, which, you know, famous melody maker. Mm -hmm. And that had single coils on it. But I didn't know anything about anything at that point. And in fact, I didn't, I didn't respect it being vintage and i sanded it down and, <laughs> and ow ow <laughs> and and so i i took those pickups off of it and put humbuckers buckers on the on the melody maker um was that
3: running p90s like the soapbox p90s in it soap bar no, sorry
1: no they're the they're these little cheap single coils they only have don't okay. they don't have uh they don't have the poles. I mean, they're just black pickups. But um, yeah, so I put humbuckers on that, and then my my second guitar that I got when I was in high school was a gold top, uh 71 gold top, and it was a reissue of a 54, and it had soap bars, and there's something about a soap bar, and it, it has a well, it's a single coil for one thing, but it's yep. it's sort of in between because it's got the, this growl and a this softness to it.
3: Yeah, my uh, TBL special has P90s, in it, and I love it.
1: Right? Yeah, that, that's I have, I have one of those too. But
3: uh, you have good taste.
1: <laughs> but but through the, the when 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 um, well, what happened was that gold top. And this this is one of one of my regrets. Uh, I was rehearsing one day and I leaned it up against the wall to do something and and I went to move, move the amp and I pulled the cord and I heard, heard this. Oh. And I heard it hit the floor, but it was a dull bang. And I went and picked it up, and the headstock was broken. And my drummer at the time, this was, this was pre, even going to Alabama, my drummer, um, like he was, he was just as bummed as I was. And he said, he offered to lend me the money to get a new guitar. Cause I thought once you break the headstock, it's like a horse that broke its leg and you got to shoot, yeah, shoot it. Shoot <laughs> it. So <laughs> I took that guitar with me down to DC to the to music store and and um gave it to the repair guy yeah it's just gonna I, I was gonna get it repaired enough to sell it and i went in and i picked out another guitar so my second guitar was a Les Paul standard with with uh humbuckers and i played that all through the 70s in fact i, I played it in early Kickstays, but um the bummer was uh, when I went back to get that that um, that gold top. The guy had fixed it; you couldn't even tell it had been broken. Yeah, but I owed my drummer the money for that other less ball, so I had to sell it.
3: <laughs> they say too, if the repair is done right on those headstocks, it's actually stronger and more stable oh, yeah. than it was. Yeah, yeah, That's I've heard floor. a lot about that. <laughs> I am yeah. just. I'm waiting. I've got I've got my special and I've got a standard. I'm just like I'm so paranoid about that falling over and like breaking the headstock off. I really am.
1: Well, the uh, well, my melody maker has been broken three times and it, it sounds better than ever. But uh,
3: maybe that's that, what I need to do because I sound kind of crazy. Maybe I just need to break one. He doesn't break fixed. his
1: guitar on purpose.
3: <laughs> it didn't <Oops>. work.
1: <laughs> well, that less Paul. You know, it's funny because the '70s they had that little volute thing at the end of the that mm-hmm. was supposed to make it stronger right that, that standard i ended up breaking it five d- different times like throughout the years and um it finally got to the point where i'd the strings put a brand new set of strings and they sounded like rubber bands it was so dead so i eventually had to get the neck replaced on that thing
3: yeah god I just I know too, it's that funky angle of the headstock of the Gibson plus the the width or the thickness there. It's always like the danger. And it's also what some of the tuning instability comes a little bit from that. It's particularly around the G. Yeah. And, but I figured out like I can get I get my less balls to stay in tune actually about as well as my fenders now. I, I lube like the nut, I also lubed the saddles a little bit, and then how I tied the string on the post, like. I haven't really had any problem with these, but I'm just always freaked out about the headstock breaking. If it falls over, gets, you know, dropped wrong in the case or something.
1: Can I ask you what year your uh, special is?
3: Yeah, it's a 2019. It's newish. It's like when they reintroduce those, it is not vintage at all. So I got it from Sweetwater. I bought one of their demos. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but it is none of this stuff is um, vintage. My... My special Telecaster, American special. I think that's like a fifteen or fourteen. It's a Roadhouse Strat. That's like mid two thousands, and then that's twenty twenty one. Paul, and that's a twenty nineteen uh, special. I've I've had a lot of shitty guitars where I've trained traded up or sold over time and accumulate better gear.
1: Yeah, I used to do that. I think I've I've, I've zeroed it down to my core guitar. The guitars I yeah. I,
3: I tell you what I'm I'm looking for right now, though. I really, really, really want a junior, just a junior single pickup junior, um, maybe gonna, black. I think I'm looking at that. and I'd love to get more of a, you know, worn in vintage, one of those. Uh, I got a 59 TV. Oh, do you really? What color is it? Tobacco? TV yellow. TV yellow. Gibson's TV yellow is so good. That color is so good. I love it. I actually I'll have a guitar question
2: for Brian. on the, the pandemic jam thing the Saturday night special. I don't think I'd ever seen you play a Les Paul before. It always a telly, so that was cool. Did that just called for that, that song.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember what I played on that. Oh, I played my Sunburst, the the 70, 75. Um, I just did that because that's what Gary Rosinton played. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. You gotta get, I mean, you gotta play a Les Paul for Skinner, man. Come on.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I actually recorded on that though. I'd use it for the video.
3: The oh, video, okay. I might well, it, it. it looks the part, right?
1: Yeah, I think I I've recorded on my Melody Maker.
3: I'm envious of you having a 59 Junior TV Yellow.
1: I <laughs> really am. My specials, <laughs> my specials, 58.
3: Is it really? So you've got? See, I got you know, I got reissued shit. I man, guys, send me it, pictures or something. Where can I find pictures of these guitars? <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I, they're probably on my Facebook. I got the okay. gear album in my photos.
3: I'm going to scroll down. If I don't see you, I'm going to message you. It's like, Brian, send me pictures of these two guitars, please. So I can <laughs> sit there and like salivate over them. What about pedals?
1: Um, well, live, uh, um, I stay away from pedals mostly, but for kicks, I, I did have to have a chorus pedal for the itch and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I put together like where, where, where my um, receiver for my wireless, I put that like right in front of my amp and right next to it was a, a true bypass. And then I had two pedals hooked to the, the bypass pedal because I hate being in line with with things. And I had the, the um, chorus and I had a, well, for a long time, a tube screamer. But I since changed it to something else. But that's what I used for um for a cold shower for my strat. And those are the only two pedals I'd use. And it was only, you know, the chorus on two songs and the, the other thing, the boost, the <laughs> distortion on on one song. And rhino bucket, all I have is is a tuner. And but I do have pedals. I have some yeah. here at home that I that I mess around with i have a well i have i think i have five different wawa pedals (laughs) that i've collected over the years i got an old vox and a reissue vox i got a uh, um what's it called um oh it just came out not too long ago it's a it's a crybaby but it's it's some guy's signature crybaby anyway i got a uh Oh, I got a whole drawer full of pedals. Like I got a, <laughs> like a um, tremolo pedal. And Then I got a, a, some old pedals. I got a like a, I was some of those overdrives. I can't remember it. Anyway, I got a bunch of them. <laughs> that, <laughs> he, the, Brian,
3: he's a purist, man. You're like, uh, and I'm I'm kind of with you. It's like you get a good guitar, you get a good amp. You can do a whole lot with that, too, especially if you don't need any crazy sounds like that's in Brian Jones. Again, all the (laughs) Brian's Tina and Tracy, uh, you know, they that's what they do. They're just a good guitar and a good amp when they play with Jane Lee Hooker. And that's 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 about right.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's some and some of those amps like you're talking about the, the little thing that's got a bunch of amp sounds in it you know i tend like if i were to get one of those i'd find the one amp that i like and that's that would be it
3: you would just use it and it's like 1200 for 1200 bucks you might as sort well of just have the amp you don't need the whole like control thing yeah because <laughs> the fender one is like 12 or 1400 bucks a new one that just came out I'm like holy wow. shit like i would just like have a really really good amp yeah <laughs> but i guess if you need the diversity if you're recording studio i i don't know you know but it just it just seems very excessive to me but you know i, I don't i don't do this for a living either i don't do a podcast for a living and just it's how brian and i have fun kill time
2: yeah
3: <laughs> labor of love and joy you you may think so with the professional level questions <laughs> you know that we give you in the conversations <laughs> you know where i i want to go brian i I'm, we'll get off gear talk real fast i want to go back to something that you said at the beginning when we started talking to you is this this duck egg things like are they to eat that you get you have your duck egg lady are like you eat them
1: yeah i love them
3: how did have you been... get into eating duck duck eggs and how do they differ from chicken eggs
1: um well I've, well actually i started before i moved here i was i found a lady out in um I don't know how I who introduced. I mean, me. they're
3: bigger than a chicken egg, obviously, because the duck's a bigger
1: bird. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I found a, a woman in in my neighborhood out in L. A. That had ducks, and and I used to meet her. It was like a drug deal. I'd I'd wait outside. outside a <laughs> with five my five dollars, and she'd come down and open the door, and I'd give her that, and she'd give me a thing of duck eggs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so then I moved here and. And uh I found a little farm not too far from here. And they had uh I, I forget what I've started. Oh no, I guess I, well, I the whole purpose of finding that farm was because they had duck eggs. But they See, also had other things.
3: I, I would think it's a lot easier to score duck eggs in Tennessee than it is isn't or Nashville than it is LA.
1: It is like I was lucky with that lady. I, I just put it out there once one day uh, on Facebook. I said, does anyone know anyone around here that's got duck eggs? And And this woman uh, responded to me and it turn, turned out she was about four blocks away. So that, that worked out. But they they also you can find them occasionally. You can find them at, a, at Whole Foods, but they want top dollar for them.
3: Yeah, when Whole Foods wants top dollar for everything, that place is crazy expensive yeah that's why i don't go but how did you i mean like why duck eggs like what got you into eating duck eggs i can't remember i guess is that like a maryland thing or
1: no i don't know i i, I must have had one along the way and just fell in love with it like yeah, I...
3: I, interesting in fact, <laughs> in fact <like> i got <laughs> right he's got him in the fridge he's gonna show us <laughs>
1: I'm supposed to meet meet my duck lady tomorrow.
3: <laughs> Got the deal going down. See,
1: these aren't real big. They almost no. Look,
3: they're just a little bit bigger, but yeah, not not substantially. No.
1: But these, I guess, the duck season's winding down. They, they go dormant for a little while. but But yeah. uh, but sometimes they they get a little bigger. And in fact, this farm that I that I was getting them from uh, before I found my duck lady <laughs> um every <laughs> once in a while they have a an uh like like self-serve refrigerator where they where you pick up your orders and they'll have leftover things like if you like they'll have leftover chicken eggs or something you can just grab something extra and a couple times they had goose eggs too so i i tried them they're even bigger. are they good yeah they're just, just a bigger version.
3: <laughs> so, with a goose egg, you can make a one egg omelet. It's so, so it's right size.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, someone sent me an emu egg, but that was a little too what? big.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
1: I'd use a hammer and a chisel to get it open.
3: <laughs> Brian's the guy who's like, just send a mini bird egg. He'll take it. He'll <laughs> like it. Just give him whatever you got, ostrich, you give him whatever. Just send him the egg. <laughs>
2: that's awesome
3: (laughs) that is that is fun with with a um duck egg though is it like any discernible taste between the chicken egg or is it just similar
1: very similar but um they're a little bit richer and and like the yolk is creamier and thicker so so like if you do a sunny side up egg with a regular egg if you break it it pretty much just goes but with a duck, you, you break it and it just oozes
3: so we like to call those a dippy egg because you take your toast and you can dip them into and like, yeah. So those make good dippy eggs. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to have it, to try duck eggs.
1: Like I, I like to put eggs on top of like burger and, and duck eggs are good because you can slice it, like slice a piece off and it'll just, just leak all over. Yeah. it just kind of.
3: Yeah. Cause you're right about that too. Is like, it just makes a big mess when you get a regular egg on there. Right. Cause it's always like, you know, a over easy ish thing it just gets all over the bun and all over the sandwich yeah <laughs> i'm in brian i'm in I'm, I'm both Brian's. i'm in i'm trying i'm gonna try duck eggs i live it, it in the rural area of columbus yeah i'm I mean, you're north dakota i mean come on they gotta have <laughs> duck eggs where you are my wife
2: works at a place called natural grocers maybe not to see you see, she, she has
3: duck eggs
1: <laughs> are they i know have... ohio but we got
3: ducks in ohio
1: that's all you have to do is just ask around. Like somebody's got to know somebody. Oh that yeah, has... I'm sure. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll do like you. I'll post on Facebook. I'm like, hey, I'm looking for duck eggs, and I, there's probably a lot of duck egg people in in Marysville, Ohio. So yeah. <laughs> all right, Brian. I'm Doug. I'm done with duck talk and gu- guitar gear talk. I'll shut up. Okay,
2: cool. Yeah, I think we're we're maybe gonna wind down here. So now is Rhino Bucket your main thing, and then what's what's going on? You mentioned earlier maybe cutting a record, and what's the tour look like? Tour schedule or?
1: Yeah, right. well, Rhino Bucket is right now the only thing. I mean, we don't have any gigs until probably early next year. I think we're doing a whiskey in April and and one other one around there, but. Um, Yeah. And then the record, whenever that happens, but before when, when kicks was up and running, you know, and we when on bucket would decide they want to do a record. It was like, well, I got this little space here and this time here, you know, I try try to squeeze it in and now it's, you know, it's wide open, but, you know, uh, you know, I've got my ears open The, the other last week. I went down to, to that, to the, um Eastside Bowl and I saw this these friends of mine playing there in the lounge and uh the, the guy what's his name Billy Mercer from um Tom Keefer's band. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah yeah and this other friend of mine Tobin Dale who who used to work at Rumble Seat Music and uh it's just so much fun watching them play and they we were talking about putting something together but but then again I'm still trying to get over this stroke. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't, you know, dude, I don't want to embarrass myself.
3: <laughs> well, listen, if you ever want to play in a Americana slash rockabilly band in Ohio, <laughs> you can come and play with us anytime you want, man.
1: <laughs> Sounds like fun.
3: <laughs> you, you won't embarrass yourself. You'll embarrass us because you're, you're going to be so much better than we are. <laughs> <laughs> you know who doesn't like americana slash rockabilly slash alt country yeah
2: is, is that something where will you when you go to these bars whatever open jams you ever get up just to kind of to keep the chops going or
3: yeah
1: well before pre-stroke pre-stroke i used to um yeah like uh well those guys there's this these guys down down here they they had this band called the rock and roll residency residency um they uh they're a spay these backup band and they used to have jams and and but i met them on the boat on the on the monsters rock cruise but they're from nashville and they do these jams and people get up there and and um I got up there. I, I jammed with them on the boat twice, and then uh, um, you mentioned rocking, rocking pod. I did the first one that they did down here. Oh, really? Yeah. And the the those those guys did. Uh, was it the night before? I think they the they did a pre party thing. And yeah. I got
3: yeah, that's that's yeah, that's what we were at the uh, East Side Bowl or whatever the bowl was for that pre party the night before, with like rare hair and all that stuff going on
1: yeah these guys did it at the same place at the convention center but uh yeah they they did one uh the yeah they did one last week at the uh yeah the east side bowl but yeah I, i'd get up and do stuff then but now it's i, I don't know i'd probably be hesitant <laughs> i did one of the rare hair things
3: okay very cool we we were a podcast when they first had the first rock and pods going on cuz we went Brian our first year was tw- 21 21 yeah. 21 21 they didn't have it 22 they had it 23 so that's really been our our extent so far
1: yeah this was probably when was 2019
3: when i did it yeah right before the shit hit the fan
1: yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, man. Where do we go to send our listeners everything we want to know about Rhino Bucket or what you got going on? Any
1: social medias you want to plug? Uh, yeah. Well, of course, I don't know the the address. But <laughs> there, <laughs> <laughs> um, Rhino Bucket. There's a Rhino Bucket page on Facebook, and um, there's a Rhino Bucket Instagram. They can follow. Um, there's a there's a round of bucket merch page somewhere <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah there's st- actually still a kicks merch p- k- page too they've been uh they've been selling all the merch that's left over um and me personally i have a website but i've seen yeah yeah it's just sitting there <laughs> i haven't done anything in years um so I, I I mostly do Facebook and Instagram. And, and it, Facebook
3: or Instagram probably sounds like the best just for anything that you're into.
1: Yeah, Instagram's usually food pictures. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Better be some duck eggs on that. I'm like, I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna follow you right now on Instagram. So I'm definitely getting in on that. And I'm gonna be going on your Facebook page looking for the pictures of those guitars too.
1: Yeah. In fact, I probably don't, don't have the new ones on there yet, but uh but in my photos somewhere uh, I've, I've got pictures of some new guitars.
3: You've got some homework, man. We got to get those pictures up there.
1: <laughs> I think I have five tellies. I have a picture of all five tellies sitting oh, opposite. Pat
3: Razingo and Andrew Daly and one of our other friends, Sandrew, follows you on Instagram. I can see that. <laughs> All right,
2: Brian, thanks so much for coming on, man. We've wanted to get you on here for a long time and all love and respect to everything you do, man. You're a hell of a guitar player and a great guy. And welcome back anytime. So thanks for
1: coming on and chatting with us.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations on those, all those years of sobriety too. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. That's pretty much got me through everything. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, I'm uh, you know, I love talking music and gear and anything, you know. It's, it's, he's
3: saying he's going to come back on, Brian. He's telling us he will come back on to talk to us again. And, and I'll we'll talk look about, forward
1: to that, definitely. I'll talk about food, too. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Be ready. We're going to want your best egg dishes from the best <laughs> animals. <laughs> so come back with that list next time. Well, here you go. Here's our recipes.
2: Thank you so much to Brian Forsyth for joining us on the podcast. I, I was for a while i've known that he uh spent some time down in alabama this is pre-kicks pre-shoes so it's cool to hear about that and he got to you know see those guys some of the guys that were in the swampers you know around this is in like the later 70s so that's very cool and i i also like talking about the thing that i came across you know him uh playing on the i don't know if this is this pandemic jams he kind of explained a little bit how those work but he did uh um skinner saturday night special with uh with uh john karabi and ted nugent's bass player and a couple other guys that are fairly well known so that, that's very cool so check that out if you get to see if you you know get a chance check that out it's it's very cool
3: i like that we got to talk to him Really all the stuff outside of kicks because everybody knows kicks and, and all that and the things he did leading up to it after or even during. I think we interesting because I, again, kind of like t- kind of at the top of the show is wasn't a big kicks fan until later on in life. Uh, mostly to do the dude playing that. <laughs> Don't close your eyes single so many t- times, but uh, it was cool to hear his story and um, everything he's done and also learn about duck eggs. Brian duck eggs is, yeah. is something new to me.
2: Thanks for reminding me. Um, yeah, I <laughs> my wife works at a place called Natural Grocers and uh I asked her, I was like, do they have duck eggs there. I think, do I they? She's, uh, you know, I think I should know
3: that answer, right? Uh, they might, I'll find but out if you follow out. him on Instagram, yeah, most of his dude, postings are food and he always has a duck egg with whatever he's eating,
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's like, his his whole Facebook and his social media is all like. You know, recipes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to see. Again, he incorporates a lot of duck eggs into his diet. And I think one other thing, Brian, and we talked about it with him right at the beginning, which was scary, is the fact that he almost died and even had a mini stroke yeah. due to carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, you know, how yeah. scary is that?
2: Yeah. Definitely glad he's okay. But yeah, you know, I really should. I would, you know, I'd like to put it together a rock and roll health team, Brian Forsyth, Steve Jewell. What he did, so
3: yeah, yeah. Brian looks great though, <laughs> like physically fit and everything. Yeah. Man, he's he's in yeah. really good shape and certainly coming along from uh, recovering from that stroke. But that was scary. I mean, he could have very easily died. A lot of people yeah. died due to that.
2: Yeah, that's that was totally weird that, that happened yeah. like
3: that. Wow, I'm glad he's okay. So me too.
2: And uh, of course, he he lives in that groovy Nashville neighborhood, which we hear so much about.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, with the um uh, Tony Higbies and um who else is over that direction?
2: Vaughn um, Johnson.
3: Vaughn Johnson, I think Damon Johnson is somewhere around there all the like, free. Mm-hmm. Like that that's all if I next time I go to Nashville, that's all I just want to walk around those neighborhoods to see who <laughs> I run into.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Start knocking on doors. Oh, sorry, knocking
3: on sorry. See who's <laughs> so out jogging, see so who's out <laughs> walking a dog, just whatever's going on out there.
2: Well, until we're knocking on Doors in a groovy Nashville uh, uh, neighborhood. Always remember Southern Rock is reverent, blues is blood. We'll see you next time.
0: I'm here on my own. I'll do anything but go home. Come clean. I'll be clear I'll go anywhere But I ain't going there Next to you I feel alone Another night, another day Nothing changes even if I stay